Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. There we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the H2O Podcast. And as you can see, we have a new addition to the studio here. Well, there in the uh, in the arcade, are the what do we call that set? The arcade arama. The I'd say I'd say call it the penny arcade, but I'm pretty sure that's copyright. The penny, the penny arcade. Well, um, the retro room. Maybe. Uh, so there we are. That uh, Mrs. courtesy of Mrs. Boss uh, indulging her new addiction on uh, Facebook Marketplace found that. That came out of a movie theater in southern Missouri. Mm. So it's actually a movie poster marquee from a movie theater. And, and the, people, the people we got it from put the Return of the Jedi poster in there. I ne- what I need to do is put get a piece of plexiglass mm-hmm. because at the frame the frame is a crimp it it right, yeah. clamps down so what i'm needing to do is put plexiglass on top of the poster so it saves the poster right, because yeah. the return of the jedi poster right now is just creased all the heck all around the edge sure. so you know there's issues is, when the first question you ask the guy is does the poster come with it? <laughs> well, yeah. All right. So welcome, everyone, to uh, the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And tonight, we are not talking about the DC Comics bloodbath. Not yet. We're not, we're, I think with the news coming out of the, of the Warner Media, Time Warner, AT&T, DC Comics, all of the layoffs and all of the, all of the changes that are going on over there, and then you have Fandom on the 22nd. Right. I think it would be appropriate for us to wait until after Fandom, and then we can just cover it all at once. So, Not to mention anything that's going on right now is, it, if it happens now, things are still, you know, what's going yeah. to come out of this is going to come out of this over the next period of time. You know, yeah, so. it's, a, it's, it's one of these rolling things. I know uh, Comics by Perch has been covering some of this, and he said... Ten minutes after he posted his first video, just kind of looking at what's going on, right. he's getting phone calls, he's getting messages and emails, and some more information starts to come out. Uh, and apparently, besides Rich Johnston over at Bleeding Cool, there is a freelance writer named Asher Elbian, who I guess works for The Atlantic and Daily Beast and a couple of other places. He, he is also on the list of people who have blocked us for no good reason. Uh, so, so he's been posting names, and apparently Bob Harris is out. Uh, Mike Cunningham's out. Andy Corey is out. So there's it's, it, there's a lot of back and forth. Not too many people know exactly what's going on. So we're gonna wait to think. So things play out a little bit. We get a little bit more information on how this thing is gonna shake out, and then we'll look at Fandom on the twenty second. And we'll circle back. Hopefully, we'll have a pretty solid idea because this is kind of big for DC, but it's not entirely unexpected. So we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, let's see here. So what we are talking about tonight 
is short fiction. I have I have a I have a short story. Once upon a time, there was a little company called YouTube, and this little company got big, and the big company YouTube started treating their users like crap. The end. Uh, a, a little bit of a programming note for those of you who are subscribed to the channel. YouTube made it known today that they are phasing out email notifications. So the only way you're going to know if we do anything is by having the push notifications on. So either on your desktop, if you're on YouTube, logged in on YouTube on the desktop or your laptop, or on your mobile device if you're in the YouTube app and you have the notifications turned on. Email notifications are completely going away. Which just reinforces my presumption that they don't care about anybody that's not a corporate user. It has changed quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, businesses, businesses go where they perceive the money to be. And uh, they don't often think about YouTube. YouTube is hardly the first, uh, and won't be the last. Yeah. To chase the money versus <laughs> their client, what 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 the, the client base that established them. That's right. unfortunate, but true. Uh, I, I there's a weariness that I get to when I look at some of this stuff. Oh yeah. And it's just yeah. like part of me. Part of me is like, eh. Well, because unfortunately, I mean, it's you know, again, because YouTube certainly isn't the first, and and like I said, they're not going to be the last. Um, there's a certain amount of, I get it from a purely business standpoint, but yeah. probably as a consumer of the product, it's the it's final it's Final Cut Ten all over again. I mean, it's it's it you is know, it and, is very much that, and it's and it's unfortunate because I mean, even. You know, I guarantee you that for those of you who don't know, and Final Cut is a editing software. When it went from uh, its own pla a certain kind of Final Cut Seven was the last of its, yeah, and then they upgraded to a new system entirely that changed everything, and nothing worked from the old system to the new, and a significant chunk of the editing world was using Final Cut, which is an Apple product, and um, while the company has built Apple. X, Apple 10, whatever you call it, whatever you call it, into a really solid program. I hear nothing but good things about it from the folks I know who use it. Um, I guarantee you that there are a great many people who went to pre Premiere. I know folks who went to Avid. Um, I put, I put uh, Vegas back on one of my laptops when it happened, just because I knew that I, I could fall back on Vegas if things well, were to go. And, and the, other, the other one, uh, you mentioned Premiere, when you have Adobe Creative Cloud mm. that went completely into the cloud that turned off a lot of people too so it there's there's no you, you can't win for losing i'm this close to, uh, to doing I, it i debated i'm this close i i need to study it more i want so. the new versions of premiere and the new versions of photoshop yeah there's two the the new one the, the like the new ones that just rolled out yeah yeah because because yeah, those are pretty those are those apparently are made of candy and unicorns and they bring you your coffee in the morning yeah. and they tell you nice things about how you look and tell you that you dress really nicely yes. I, you know speaking of uh, of dressing really nicely and telling us how good we look Eastland in the chat saying nice things about us thank you um, 
been listening to audiobooks, short stories and novels from 1931, the 50s, and others. Why are you two not so popular? <laughs> That's a good question. Because we are uh, not made of candy and unicorns? Well, I think, I think you know, part of it is the YouTube algorithm. Part of it is that we have limited resources in terms of what we're able to do to promote the channel. We can get on social media. We can get on Twitter and Facebook and all of those others. And we can sit there and say, hey, we've got a show. Come see our show in the barn. And, and when we put on the show in the barn... It turns into a fairly nice product. It's a it's a pretty it's a pretty slick production, I think, uh, better than some of the stuff that we saw at JusticeCon or or Comic Con at home. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, objectively speaking. Now, in fairness, some of them are doing it for the first time. Uh, in some of them, not all of them. Some of them should know better. But anyway, yeah. But see, that's one of the reasons why it's so important for our audience to share the links. And it's important for our audience, in order to be able to share the links, to be able to know when we're on, which includes notifications. And and I'm, I've been looking at the traffic numbers, and a majority of our traffic does not come from subscribers. We have a, 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 over 1,450 subscribers on YouTube. Most of our traffic comes from outside that group. Mm. And only 140 of our subscribers have their notifications turned on. So, those of you who are watching, you find this, uh, you find this video through uh, recommendations and what to watch next list and all of those things. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, so, we do invite you to subscribe to the channel, have your notifications turned on. And when we say notifications turned on, switch them to all. Mm, right. Because then you might get some. Because YouTube is very stingy with those things. And I've seen all sorts of people blowing up on Twitter today with this word that the email notifications are going away. People are saying, hey, wait, YouTube, this is the only way that I know when anybody posts anything. So who knows? Who knows how this is going to go? I, <clears throat> uh, now, not knowing for sure, but I suspect, and, and describing... I don't know. Maybe, maybe kinder motiva motivations to to YouTube than is necessary. Um, I suspect that they have some way of telling how much of that ends up being, or have a have a have a idea in their heads anyway of how much of that stuff is ending up in the spam filter, or ending up. For example, um, I have to go look in my my you know my Gmail breaks right. things down in columns, and none of the notifications that end up in my primary. Oh, I'm sure. But the thing is, is that I also look in my other, you know, because it's th basically three columns. Yeah. So I, always, I look in that. Well, but. and and all of the stuff that I have sent, whether it's through MailChimp or just sending emails or, you know, going through, if I'm sharing files through WeTransfer right. or Dropbox or anything like that, I never get any, in, in any indication at all that those emails go to a spam filter. I get, I get told it's been sent and... There used to be a setting on a couple of different email ser services that I used where I could select send red receipt, you know, so I'd know when it got there sure. and somebody read it. But I can't do that on the on the email system that we've got. So I use MailChimp for work mm -hmm. uh, for our newsletters, and one of the things that I'm doing is I'm actually tracking this because we have a we have a specific audience. I mean, we're we're in the grant writing business, so we yeah. we don't do like mass emails out to the world. We target a very specific group of people. 
um, nonprofits and et cetera, et cetera. You know, the folks who, who our services matter. And so we get a bounce uh, report. Mm -hmm. And uh, so hard bounces, soft bounces. Right. Um, and uh, for the folks at home, uh, soft bounces can mean a lot of different things. It can mean almost anything. It's uh, your, your email didn't go through at this particular time. Hard bounce means it's never going to go through. Yeah, that email that email doesn't exist. It's been no. misspelled. It's um, yeah. You've you've been blocked. That account doesn't exist anymore. There's a, there's a lot. There's no way of knowing what the reason is, yep. but you can know that you're, it's like okay. And if you get an X number of blocks in Mailchimp or X number X, X number of, of, of hard bounces, yeah, it'll it clear it out because it knows that it's not going to go. It's yeah. we're wasting our time. <laughs> so not to waste any more time, let's talk about short fiction. Because we've had a number of awards ceremonies that have gone through here the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. And short fiction is uh, in those categories. And I saw, I want to say Richard, I meant to look this up and then I got tied up on something. Richard Paolilli? Let me look that up. Because what prompted this thought, besides uh, an, uh, a couple of stories that we had on... Um, Saturday about short fiction being adapted because mm -hmm. there's a there's a short fiction called Sorcerers that's being adapted into a TV series, and I think you had there wasn't wasn't there a horror anthology or something that was coming out that was that was being adapted for something or well there's a whole bunch of there yeah uh, Stephen King had his four novella his recent I don't I don't even think it's out um, his novella collection it probably is. Uh, that everything has basically been adapted right out of off the bat. I mean, it's not even you know, uh, and and there's something to be said for the advantage of adapting novellas or short stories for television or or streaming services as as a short form, as an hour episode, or even um, you know, in some cases, some cases you can get a, a novella, you can get a decent six episode right. series out. Um, where you see a lot of issues with adaptations is adapting a short story into a feature. Um, a Stephen King is an example, Children of the Corn, which has so many sequels. Um, and none of them have been good, uh, in no offensive to the Children of, Korn, of the Corn fans out there. But it's, it's a short story, and it's, you basically have to fill in, and that's always, that's been an issue with a lot of, of King adaptations. Yeah. Um, but he also basically has told people that you can. I think. I think he had the dollar. Um, yeah. Fee for a while, basically, is that if you if you could want to adapt one of his short stories, you could pay him a dollar, and you'd like go go make a movie with it. Go make, go make, preferably is, a short is, movie. Is, is he still doing that? Or I don't is he know. Done with that? I don't know. Um, uh, he may be done with that, considering the the recent crop of adaptations yeah. uh, and to be honest you know we've the, the quality of the recent crop has been um actually it's been about the same as it's always been <laughs> uh he's always been hit and miss for every yeah. for every the shining uh you get the recent adaptation of pet cemetery for every yeah. it chapter one you get it chapter two um, well i'm not seeing it on his his facebook feed richard paolinelli who is with subversive superversive press um, I think it was him, uh, but he had posted something uh, a while back. It might have been, eh, it might have been somebody else, but it was 
uh, one of these uh, comments about how there are fewer outlets for short fiction. And it was one of these where it was, you know, there's only two or three now, you know, that you could just go to and start submitting. And um, one of the stories that we had on Saturday was, you know, with this this sorcerer's story, it's published by a a company called Neotext. Mm Mm-hmm. And their focus is going to be on short stories, short fiction. So I thought, you know, well, why not? Let's talk about some of the short fiction that we've read and enjoyed and and make some recommendations and and see what's out there and go from there. Well, and I think that if if you... Oh, it was was Louis Antonelli. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Um, If you... You can still go to your local bookstore um, and your big chain bookstore. Yeah. And find anthologies in just about every subject that you want. Um, you can find, if you're a, hist- a history fan, you can find anthologies often of of essays or, or papers or, or articles about a specific yeah. piece of history, usually a, a specific moment, uh, as opposed to, a, a, you know, you're not going to find a five-page thing on Second World War. It's just not going to be detailed enough. But you can find your science fiction and fantasy anthologies. You can find your romance anthologies. You can mm-hmm. find your... You know, just about every subject you want. But you do go back, um, probably, I would want to say that the last big short fiction, the, the the most recent heyday of the short fiction anthology and genre stuff was probably the late 80s, 90s, early 90s? Yeah, there were a few of those. Um, there have been a few collections of late um, and I want to say that LibertyCon, I think, had organized a publication of an anthology, and then there was a series of anthologies, and I don't know if it was if it was Superversive Press, if it was Jason Rennie, or, or somebody who had put this together, of basically... Uh, collecting anthology, uh, collecting different different stories, and the theme of each anthology was one of the planets in the solar system. Oh, okay. And there were there were a few of those, and and you see every now and again you'll see a collection of short stories that live within a story universe. Right. So like um, wild cards, wild cards, uh, the Honor Harrington novels. There's uh, some collection of short stories there. In the 80s, you had things like Heroes in Hell, um, which was sort of a um, all the all the great historical figures end up in hell. What happens next? <laughs> uh, so when C- think- when Caesar and, and Napoleon that, butt heads, that actually might be more interesting than having them all cloned and put back into high school. Um, Which is the MTV TV series? Uh, what is it called? I can't remember. They're rebooting it. They're they're bringing it back. So, uh, um, Clone High? No, it's not Clone High. It's something else. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, the, um, the the latest bad adaptation of Riverworld. Yeah. Like <laughs> uh, Eastland uh, short fiction I think would include short stories and novellas. I mean, because novels novels can be anywhere from you know. 40,000 to 500,000, 800,000 words. Novellas generally tend to be, I think, under 100,000? Yeah. Under 50,000? Um, yeah, there's a significant difference between, uh, um, oh, anything in Four Past Midnight uh, from King and uh, uh, any, like, Tad Williams novel where 
You know, yeah. it's three or four inches thick, uh, which is which is not to say there's not a uh, you know quality involved uh, with longer format. And one of the advantages, of course, to longer format is that you can world build effectively. You can right. spend time with the characters, you can develop them. But one of the cool things about short form fiction is that not only does it teach you to be economical with your words, but it also means you have to tell. It's it's kind of like making a film without any money. You have to be clever. Mm-hmm. You have to make it really work. You have to figure out a way to get around the fact that you don't have three more chapters to develop right. the character. Yeah, and and I ran into that in particular. Mrs. Boss was wandering back around here, and she pulled this out. Hand, hand that to me there, um, young lady. Since you found it, toss it here, and, and we'll, we'll post it. So this is, this is a short piece of fiction. Um, it is, in this particular format, it is 115 pages. It is my book. Which would make it a novella. A novella. Uh, it's called The Hero at the End of His Rope. It is available. I'll, I'll plug it. Um, my little Saul Bass tribute in the, in the cover. Uh, but this was an experiment in short fiction that started as an experiment in flash fiction. Mm. Now, flash fiction, for those of you who may not have heard of the term... It is even shorter than short stories. Short stories are this long. Flash fiction is this long. 800 words, 1,000 words. Mm -hmm. Tiny, tiny, tiny little snippets of story. And the original idea was there was a a Dayton Ward and Kevin Dilmore had gotten uh, invited to contribute some horror flash fiction to this one website. And they mentioned it, and I thought, well, that might be fun to try. And so I started working on a little piece, and 800 words, I'm not going to make it to 800 words. So what ended up happening is the 800 words story became 800 words chapter one, and then going from there, what I figured to do is, uh, is to test myself and to do... 800 words exactly in each chapter, mm-hmm. except for the last chapter. The last chapter is 666 words. And it actually works out to fit something that uh, fits the story. So it's one of these subliminal things. Nobody's going to ever get it, but the final chapter is the word count is 666, and it kind of fits where the where the story is is it ends. so but yeah that was that was one of the things was like the challenge to short stuff the challenge to short stories is being economical with your words and and making sure that you can get all of the ideas out there in a very small package and still entertain and still take the reader on a ride, you know, you know, an exploration, a, a discovery, and all of this. By the time you get to the end, it's a satisfying trip, even if it's just short. Um, I think Kevin J. Anderson has done some <coughs> short stories. Um, Spider Robinson, of course. Sure. Uh, all of his stuff is is short stories, except for the the piece that he finished for the Heinlein. Well, he also did. No, he had a couple of novels. Mm-hmm. He, had, he, had, he had several. He had, uh, I think, two or three that were set in the uh, uh, Callahan's Cross Time Saloon series. 
um, but they were rare in the majority yeah. of the collections. Um, the, the, what, there are two. Every time I think of like super short short stories, I think of two. It's the shortest horror story, um, which is Frederick Brown was the writer, and this is the entire short story. Okay. The last man on earth sat alone in a room. There was a knock on the door. That's it. It's the entire thing. And there are a lot of ways, there's a lot of ways to read that. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, the last man on earth. Maybe there's a woman outside the door. Um, or it's the last human on earth. And there's, and there's a knock at the door. The other one um, that, and, and there's a reason I'm, I'm mentioning these two. Um, is Neil Gaiman's Nicholas Was, which he wrote as a Christmas card to his friends because he's a Neil Gaiman. Sure. He's, a, he's an odd fellow. Um, but he's also, he got his start uh, in many ways. He cut his teeth in poetry. He was, also, he was a journalist and also a poet. And one of the advantages um, that he says for poetry is that it requires you to think about word count. And there's, you know, you, it's a generally considered a short form of writing anyway. Sure. And you have to think about the language because you're trying to get a certain emotion across. And you said that that was helpful as a writer. Well, plus your your word choice has to fit into if you're using a particular meter mm -hmm. and if you're using rhyme as opposed to not rhyming. There, there's there's oh, yeah. a number of things that fit into that. So this is also an extremely short story. And this was, like I said, he sent this out as a Christmas card. Um, so imagine, if you will, you're sitting here, you're opening your Christmas cards from your friends, and you get this from your friend, your friend, the writer Neil Gaiman. For for the legal scholars out there, this is part of what falls into uh, fair use as we are analyzing Neil Gaiman's short story. Also, so, it is right. everywhere on the internet. So still, um, yeah, I mean, YouTube I, being YouTube, YouTube being YouTube. Yes, this, this would be, uh, 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 and if nothing else, it would be. Yeah, analysis. Yeah, this right. is analysis. So Nicholas was older than sin, and his beard could grow no wider. He wanted to die. The dwarfish natives of the Arctic caverns did not speak his language, but conversed in their own twittering tongue, conducting incomprehensible rituals when they were not actually working in the factories. Once every year, they forced him, sobbing and protesting, into endless night. During the journey, he would stand near every child in the world, leaving one of the dwarves' invisible gifts by its bedside. The children slept, frozen into time. He envied Prometheus and Loki, Sisyphus and Judas. His punishment was harder. Ho. 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 Twittering, huh? A twittering language? From from a foul group of people prior, but prior, prior to the advent of Twitter, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but again, you what he's what he's done there, and what what some of these really great short story writers do, is they take something and make you in a very few words make you think about something in a different way. Um, Bradbury was very very good at that, um, and Bradbury I think and Gaiman have to one thing in specific. Well, they have a lot of things in common as writers. They're both playing with myth and storytelling that's their primary really what a lot of their stuff falls down to mm -hmm. um you can argue that even bradbury's science fiction was more fantasy fantasy um and and that's not a criticism by any stretch of the imagination his martian chronicles is both science fiction but it's also lyrical fantasy i mean it's it's uh and uh and i will i will take the um the mood of something wicked this way comes 
uh, over over many a a more a harder horror novel just because yeah. it's so beautiful. Eastland in the chat says, "I like banter. I like. Uh, I want to write a space romp adventure. Sci-fi is so super short. Bantering dialogue uh, are conflicting goals. I, I think you can do banter in a short piece. I mean, I've got banter in mine. Um, watch Farscape, and make no, and <laughs> yeah. take and take notes. Yeah, Farscape is uh, good. Anything from Joss Whedon? Anything? Because, well, Josh. Well, I, now let me let me qualify that for a second. Don't copy Joss Whedon." Because Joss Whedon is done. Because Joss Whedon is a one-note writer who does everything the same voice, and people are tired of Joss Whedon stuff. I would say that's not entirely Ish. true, but the one, t but people didn't want when he stepped out of it. So Dollhouse yeah. was a, a step out of the usual expectations, and it wasn't. It was not popular with fans, but it was a different kind of storytelling. Right. Honestly, I would have rather watched Buffy than Dollhouse. But the thing but... is, when you look at things like Buffy and Firefly and the and the Joss language, right, the, the mm -hmm. Whedon dialogue, um, it gets to a point where, with say Avengers or Justice League, where it starts to encroach. A little too much into that. It works better for Avengers because he started with Avengers and went all the way through. Yeah. But with Justice League, there are, it's so disjointed. I think it's also a product of its time. I think, oh yeah. I think I, that I think that yeah. the the kind of TV again we we're episodic TV still exists, but it's mostly not genre. Yeah. Um, there is some episodic genre. Um, Orville is still relatively episodic. There's some world building in there and some continuity, well, but it's 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 got the same. It's got that sort of episodic. Structure. Episodic can fit into an overall arc, right? But if I'm, you do it right. But I'm talking more about the stuff that is more. You know, if you miss episode three, there's a hole in your knowledge where you're going. Okay, something happened. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. They're dead. How did they not? You know, and and you don't. So, but Buffy. For all that Buffy had arcs, mm -hmm. um, it's it was still part of a time in television that we've moved away from, and I think that he really he's part of that time. And, and as much as I love Firefly, um, and and think Serenity is one of you know we got an ending to the story or a kind of an ending, which is great. Yeah. Um, it is it is also kind of a product of its time. A new version of of Firefly. Bringing the cast back together and doing a new version would, I think, would have to echo some of the tone, but it would have to be a new thing. Yeah. Because I think it would, it would, the audience is, is wanting different things. And that's, I think, one of the things that we've run, people run into with the anthologies and the, the magazine format that a lot of short stories used to come out in, uh, in, in magazines over the years, the digests. Yeah, uh, and which you could pick up in drugstores. And there's still there's still some out there. there Asimov's are. is still out mm -hmm. there. Uh, it's astounding still. It's astounding or amazing. Which one? Astounding was Campbell's. Yeah, I don't think that one's in print anymore. I know Asimov's is still is still in print. Mm -hmm. Omni is back in print, and I think they were publishing fiction. So Omni um, back in the day, which was a penthouse publication. Yeah, um, which was which always seemed a little strange. Then you remember that it was a publishing house; it wasn't just the right, the, right. 
the what, it's like uh, Starlog publishing soap opera magazines. Right. I mean, it's just it's just how it works. Yeah. Uh, but the um, while it was in many ways, it was an art magazine. They had a lot of, of uh, science fiction artists in there. It was a science magazine. It was, it was ostensibly a science magazine. Yeah. But they had a lot of short fiction in there. I read. The Sand Kings wasn't that? Isn't that George R. R. Martin? I don't I know. I think it's, but the, I think I read The Sand Kings in Omni Magazine in high school. Um, it might have been junior high. I can't remember, but it was. Uh, yeah, because Omni and Starlog were out at the same time. Yeah, so they were. Um, I think you got two, maybe three short stories, and you know, in each issue. Personally, excuse me, I would love to be able to publish short fiction on our site. The reason I haven't done it is because I don't want to do it for free. I don't want to say, send us your short story, we'll give you exposure. I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to be able to pay a little something for being able to publish, you know, first, for worldwide first electronic rights to... Yo, non-exclusive to this short story. And and note, folks, uh, if somebody wants you to pay them to publish your short story or your novella or anything like that, don't. Yeah, don't. Don't. It's just, it is ninety nine point nine percent of the time. It is a uh, it's a scam. And now there is a website, and Anne Crispin used to be a part of this before she died. Writer beware. Mm -hmm. It is a very good resource for writers when. Some of the some of the, those vanity press sites now some of them are legitimate, right? Some of them are not. Writer Beware is a very good resource for warnings against scammers, agents who deal in bad faith. You know th those kind of things. Bad actors in the publishing world, editors to avoid those kind of things. And some of the so stuff is really good resource. Some of the stuff is extremely well produced. To make you not realize what a trap it is. Yeah. And yes, and don't don't think I, I was in the publishing world for fifteen years as a used book dealer and a, and a retailer. Um, vanity presses often exist for very very good reasons. There's nothing wrong with vanity presses, and as long as you understand the terms of agreement, you understand, and you and it's a fair. Some of them out there offer very good deals, and they treat their offer authors very very fairly right. and it's a safe and you know you you have a contract it's backed up you know you will they do your research if you want to publish if you want to publish short fiction or a novel it's tough to break into the publishing world although now as compared to 10 years ago 15 years ago 20 years ago um, because when I, before I got, you know, when I got out of college, before I got married, the vanity presses were everywhere. Oh, there yeah. were a lot of yeah. them. Yeah. And nowadays, you can publish it yourself to, you know, using CreateSpace on Amazon, or you could go through Barnes and & Noble and, and publish to Nook, and you can do a print-on-demand, which is what this is. Right. You can do Kindle versions. You can do all these different things. You can post it on your own website. There are... You can uh, uh, 
what's the what's the other options as far as as far as that goes? You can well, you know, Audible has a whole section of self-written, self-produced, self-recorded. Yeah, I just and and your your quality is going to vary wildly. But I have found some really really great authors in the audio world. They don't have physical copies of their books out, but there's an no. audiobook that they narrated. That reminds me. And a lot of them are good. When we're so done, remind me. I have something I need to tell you. Uh-oh. That I can't tell anybody on the air yet. Okay. Okay. So just remind me because okay. that 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 <laughs> something I had something I needed to share with you. Uh, but yeah, you could do that kind of thing, and even to the point where, you, if, even if it's not a book, like say you're doing a comic book or a graphic novel. I mean, mm-hmm. Indiegogo, right. Kickstarter. You've got those out there. You've got Patreon. You've got Subscribestar. By the way, we have a Subscribestar account for those of you who are interested. If you want to support us financially the account is subscribestar.com slash sci-fi for me i'll throw that in there um but there are so many options now mm-hmm. for getting your stories out there um and yeah uh the 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 sales part of it and the marketing part of it again you know there's there's a lot of work involved in doing that especially if you self-publish um and even if you go that route, I would say that it would be a good idea to find beta readers. Oh, to yeah. find you know some people. You know, there are some people out there that do editorial services. Uh, Meg Trast, who was a contributor here for a while, she does that kind of thing. There are there are those people out there who offer those editorial services that can help you craft your story too. And so. if you don't have if you don't have the resources to pay for that, um, there are various uh, fan fiction sites like Archive of Their Own mm-hmm. uh, where you Archive of Our Own where we basically you can request people to give you feedback and you know and and again you you find these writing communities yeah. where they will a lot of times because you're helping them they'll help you and you can get that you know build up the kind of network which also helps if you decide to do decide to self publish your book comes out you've built up an audience of readers that you maybe can actually turn into uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, purchasers the other thing to bear in mind is that in theory the, yeah, Isla uh, said it's like selling cassettes out of the trunk of the, of the car in the seventies. To some degree, <laughs> it kind of is. But see, the thing about it is, though, when you get into these writers groups, like say on Facebook, you find you know writers groups, and like you say, I'll read yours if you read mine, and 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 you know the the you you sharpen each other's steel mm-hmm. as it were, and give each other feedback and give each other thing. And if there is some editorial help that you can get that way then great. Sometimes you will work out a deal, and I may be speaking out of turn. Don't take my word for this. This is not official advice. This is just a a maybe. Um, Some of these people might be willing to take a piece off the back end if you can't pay them right up front. And and I don't know that for sure, so don't don't take my word for it. You definitely need to investigate these things. Um, but if you're doing these stories, then you can talk to, you know, negotiate some sort of a deal where maybe they get a percentage of the sales for X number of, of books that get sold or whatever. Um, there are ways to do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as far as the Indiegogo stuff goes for crowdfunding, let's say you're going to do a collection of short stories as, as an anthology. You want to, you put this thing together. Well, you figure out how much time it's going to take you to write these stories. 
um, you want to you want to hire an editor. So there's that fee there that fee that you want to build into it. Maybe get an illustrator at the very least to do the cover art. Sure. Uh, you might do some internals, uh, some some internal illustrations. Uh, so you could do that, and then from there you figure out how much all of that takes. Right. Uh, probably you want to officially file it in the copyright office. So there's a fee there, and all that. Although please, you know, please do yeah. if you have if you have something that you've created that you someone might potentially take and use up for their own because we see this mm. um you know remember your own rights as a writer as a creator um and please whenever possible and i realize sometimes the financial issue yeah. gets in the way but protect yourself as much as possible yeah but once you figure all of that out then you have a baseline okay well i need this much money in order to make this book right. and you have your printer costs and how many how many are you going to do uh, the cost per book is less the more you print. Uh, you, how many do you think you can reasonably sell? Uh, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that's going to depend on how many uh, how many backers you get. And, sure. and do you want to do an overrun? Do you want to print more than you actually sell? You know, there's all of these different things. So uh, Indiegogo or Kickstarter, either one, is a viable alternative for that. Because especially with Kickstarter, Kickstarter is all or nothing. Mm -hmm. You either get the money, and you meet your goal, and then great if you go over. But if you don't meet your goal, nobody gets any money. So you okay? We're not going to do the book. Whereas with Indiegogo, you you can set it to where it's a flexible goal, and you get whatever money you get. Right now, you figure out okay how many you're going to do. So in that particular case, let's say we're going to do an anthology of ten stories, and it's going to be this much. Well, that's your bare minimum. Let's say you do a stretch goal. Once you get past X dollars, we'll add two more stories to the book. You know, those kind of things. So the more you get, you know, the more money you get, the more you're able to deliver. Have that ready to go before you go. There's a lot of steps with, with crowdfunding. Uh, and I'm starting to, you know, I, I see a lot of discussion back and forth on how to make this thing successful. And you and I have talked about the sustainability of it and, and put all that together. Uh, and we've seen with the comic books, there are a number of them. Uh, Adam Post comes to mind when he talks about his the way he does it. The book is done before he does the crowdfunding, before he launches on Indiegogo. Is that the book is finished, and pretty much the only thing to do at that point is print them mm -hmm. and ship them. So there's definitely a process. There's a there's a step. In, you know, step by step and step. But when you're making your own book, whether it's a whether it's a prose novel or a graphic novel or a collection of short stories or anything, there's multiple different ways of doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can definitely one of the things you want to make sure you do before you even get into the to the realm of self publishing in any format is find out if there's an audience for your story. Mm. I had the mixed fortune of being the uh, local book liaison for borders in wichita for several years which meant that every every author uh or, or would-be author or uh, self-published author or gee it'd be nice to write something one of these days how does this work author 
would come and talk to me at some point uh, at my store, and I'd sit there in my cafe with them and have co- drink coffee and mm. discuss their book. And, and I brought in some really fantastic stuff from folks that, um, if I were a publisher, uh, if I was, uh, you know, a big name publishing house, I'd be like, I need to have this person because this is great. And I quite a few things where it's like there's no audience for this. Yeah. And if you're find that one brutal friend, <laughs> find that one brutal friend who will look at you and say, this you know. <laughs> For a writer, you're a pretty good dentist. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. In, and, and, and in all fairness, um, and, and I'm, that may actually, you want to have someone who is going to be honest in their criticism. You don't want someone who's backing you up 100% all the time and telling you this is great. Sure. Because it's, it's, if they believe it, that's wonderful. But if they're saying it just because you're your friend or they're your family, yeah, they're not doing you any that's, favors. That's and they may, and they're doing it, they are doing it out of love and they're doing it out of kindness and is not helping you as a creative person. Um, yeah. you need to have, you need to have the honest criticism because it helps you make a better, makes you a better writer or filmmaker or artist. Um, as long as it's honest and true criticism as opposed to, you know, you don't want to, don't, don't go, don't go to the internet for, for backup on that. Right. I guarantee you there's a per- troll percentage. Well, and Eastland asking why, why, why do you write? Um, for me, it started as, uh, well, When I was in the sixth grade, we had uh, in in my reading class we had our our short story mm-hmm. set, right? And so everybody wrote a short story. Well, for some people, that short story was three or four pages. Mine was thirteen pages with illustrations, and I had world building. And I had all these, you know, every it, and of course. Up. It was a Star, it was a Star Trek ripoff. It sure, was a pastiche right, yeah. of that, you know, because that's what I knew. I, mm-hmm. I know Star Trek. I was do this, and the encouragement, the feedback that I got from my reading teacher at the time, sort of started those wheels turning. I was like, well, okay, maybe I can, maybe I can do something. You know, I was I was feeling ambitious. You know, thirteen sure. pages, and I thought, well, maybe I can do this kind of thing. Maybe I don't know. And then I had in my junior year in high school, uh, my English teacher, uh, whenever, whenever we did the research papers or the, you know, the document thing, I always got s- some positive feedback from her. Mm. And it wasn't necessarily fiction that I was writing, but usually you know, the search is like, well, you're a really good writer. And so that kind of fed that. And then as I got into college and, and some different things, of course, at that time, you had Star Trek The Next Generation which had an open submission policy. Mm-hmm. And any person, whether you had a, an agent or not, whether you were invited or not, any person on the planet could submit right. up to two scripts for Star Trek The Next Generation. And they would look at them. And this is how Ronald D. Moore got on there, because he was, he was taking a tour of the sets, and he had a script in his hand, and he said, oh, by the way... I've got a script in my hand. He ends up sure. rebooting Battlestar Galactica. Um, so for me, it was a way, you know, the, the wheels were turning. I was like, okay, well, I've got this idea for a script. And I write the script, and then I promptly put it away in a drawer 
for a year, and I, you know, I should I should pull that back out and rewrite it. And of course, by then Wesley was gone, and and Roe was there. Oh, okay, well let's retool this one. It's ready to go, getting ready to to mail it, and they do the episode. They they it wasn't the same idea, but the idea was bad things happen. Troy ends up in command because up until that point it never happened before. Right. And as I finished it and I'm getting ready to send it, bad things happen. Troy ends up in command. I was like, so much for that idea. <laughs> I had another idea. Data, data with his emotion chip, right? Mm. It's finally integrated. He's got this idea. It's the anniversary of Tasha's death. And it's just been weighing on him. He doesn't even realize it's weighing on him. He's, he's depressed. Data is experiencing depression. Sure. Mm-hmm. And he finally figures it out. And he finally says, okay, I'm going to do something about it. Because Sela exists. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole the whole time loop thing. Is like, right, right. She's back in time. How do I'm going to go rescue her. Guardian of forever. Goes back and forever. I start making notes. Peter David does Imzadi. I can't win for losing. But it, it reinforced the idea that there are no original ideas. There are original combinations of elements, but there are other people on the planet who are going to have ideas that are similar to yours. That does not mean you should not write that story. Oh, God, no. You should definitely write the write story. Write the story. Even if it's bad, write the story because you write the story that's one you've done and now you're experienced and you could write the next story right. and you'll get better and you write the next story. Trust me, you, you will better. have at least one stinker in there. Oh, yeah. So I got my first, my first writing was um, I wrote comic books when I was probably... Whoa! You can't do that. I can so! Um, when I was probably... 12, okay. right? Um, and I've got an art degree, and I was I was, did, you know, was a good illustrator from quite quite young. My first drawings... Um, so, so the reason I learned how to draw uh-huh. was because I would go to my mom, and I would say, could you draw Batman for me? And she would say no. And I was like, why not? <laughs> so she said, draw it yourself. So I did. But the problem with doing comic books is that comic books are sequential art. Yes. And it is a skill that people don't necessarily realize how difficult sequential art can be. Having someone look the same from panel to panel. It's not just the way their clothes are, it's the shape of their eyes, the shape of their nose. It is a skill, and the folks who do comic books um, on a regular basis, sequential art... Yeah, plus with sequentials, you're doing backgrounds too, and the backgrounds have to match. And this is back before Photoshop. Yeah. So so when you're reading that comic, take a good long look at how good some of these artists are, because they are making these characters look. And it's a combination, so it's, it's the artist and the inker and the colorist and all these different things. But these are these are very talented people. You should you know uh, recognize the skill. Get to high school, and more focusing on theater and, and, and art than than any writing. But one of the things I started doing in my history classes is before my the history essay or the thing I had to turn in that was you know some sort of research paper. 
Um, I would add a fake quote from a character I made up at the beginning. <laughs> and I had not yet read an author named Tim Powers. He and Richard, uh, uh, Richard Blaylock, James Blaylock, another, another science fiction and fantasy author, created a character named Richard Asbless, Ashbless, mm -hmm. um, for their own. I had no idea about this. I didn't. I, I found out this years later that other people were doing this too. They would create. They created this character and started quoting him in college, for their own papers. And it was a joke between themselves. Right. Um, and so I was doing this. I discovered I was doing something similar uh, when I was in high school. Uh, I think about fifteen years after they were in college. Uh, but anyway, I would create this quote, and it would be it would be relevant to what I was talking about. Sure. And my history and history teacher a knew it was a fake quote. And B thought it was very funny, so that's why I didn't get in trouble for it. Because this is this is bad. This is bad, by the way. This is not how you. This is you yeah, do not yeah. invent quotations for for history papers or, or school stuff. This is <laughs> there's whole rules about that. But um, and then in college, I started writing a novel, which I still have the notes for. I'm never going to finish it mm -hmm. um, because it's you know. Uh, but there's parts of it I think are still relatively clever. Parts of it are just, we do not speak of those parts. Um, but then when I got, so I don't, I don't do, my writing is in the form of scripts uh, for short, and they are short films. Right. And the answer is why, what I got, what, what I've been doing with my short films, aside from the film noir musical stuff, which is it's a whole different thing. But in terms of the, the stories that I'm telling and like, things like the space between or, um, uh, several of the other ones that I've written. I find these little pieces of stories of human relationships. They end up being these are like emotional dramas. Yeah. Uh, and because I find like a part that that feels like um, uh, a lot of times they're what if stories. Sure. So there's yeah, a few there's a few of them that are actually a couple of them that are. They're not me. They're not this person in my life, but that started off as uh, a what if I and so and so, you know, had this happen. Right. Um, I wrote the the one the the space between um, did not start off to be one about a story about me and my ex wife and our child, but by the time I was done, and by the time I made the film. I had made a film which my when my ex-wife saw it, she cried because it was close enough to what it would be like if we had lost our child. Yeah. And so there's this, you know, you you, you find a way of working through some of these things and 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 telling kind of these interesting side stories because we well, don't, you know, we don't have our, our child is fine. Yeah. Well, uh, child is all you have up. to be you have to be really careful about incorporating your own life into your stories because if you do it wrong, or if you're too obvious about it, <clears throat> yeah, some people might get upset with you. Oh, no question. I will leave it at that. Well, and and I think that you for for my case for the stories that I tell and that kind of thing, where um, again they're not me, yeah. and uh, but I, I it's a lot of time that starts with me going. But if mm -hmm. what how would I do this? And then it usually takes me to someplace else because. I'm not that, I, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not that interesting. So it's like, really a story about me? I don't know if we want to necessarily. I can, I can verify I'm not to a certain point that Tim Harvey is not that interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm so. very rather dull. 
Well, and you mentioned short films. We haven't even gotten into short films. You know, short fiction, of course, is, is very, very important to still have as an art form. I mean, you look at the the work of people like Robert Bloch or H.P. Lovecraft or, um, um, well, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis mm -hmm. did some some short work. And oh, just we, we talked about King earlier. I mean, a significant chunk of his. Um, uh, library of work, library of work, uh, body of work. That's body the word. Work. I, that's it's what I want. Yeah, has been yeah. short stories, and uh, well, I think there's still value to it. Especially, oh, there's well, a, there's still value. And and you look at you know some of the not not just in in science fiction, but you know the mysteries. You know, Ellery Queen, Alfred Hitchcock. I, you know those those anthologies probably you know that you found a lot of new writers that way who went on to become very well-known, prominent mystery writers. Um, short fiction is a good good way of entering into that whole milieu of publishing, and and it's yeah yes, editing is painful. Self-editing is hard and painful because that's your baby, and you don't want to sit and say. My baby's ugly. I need to change it. Wasn't there? There but, was there was some author who said that uh, having your book edited was like taking your kid out back. <laughs> well, the and and from from the standpoint here of of editing, you know, self editing, because I didn't have an editor on mine. I had to go back and do it. But most of what I was doing was shaping the chapters so they were 800 words. Right. And But it was, again, it was like working with poetry like Gaiman. You're having to find words that are economical and they fit the tone of the, of the piece and they get across the idea that you're trying yeah. to convey. And it actually was a fairly interesting exercise for me in... Storytelling because I have okay. Well, how do I? What's another way that I can say this in three fewer words? You know, it's it was those kind of things, and it was it wasn't I'm sixty words too long. I'm eight words too long. You know, right. and so that becomes a real challenge to shape and nudge and okay that word and take this word right. out and move that. Um, but so editing. Not just copy editing for spelling errors. Dead important. did that, and, and important. Yeah, that's very important. Know how to use commas. How to use commas and semicolons. Semicolons are still useful. Lean into the Oxford comma, folks. It's a good idea. Yes, uh, especially if you're doing lists of uh, eats, shoots, leaves. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's a hysterical book. If you have not read that book, <laughs> you should read that book. But I think you know being able to edit yourself. Uh, that requires being able to step away for a little while. You and leave the you leave the story. You go away. Maybe you work on a couple of other things. You come back to it. You look at it fresh. You're still not going to see everything that has to be fixed. No, but changed. maybe I think I think in that process you can help develop your voice as a writer. I think that's yeah. something that a lot of people don't necessarily think of, and they really should be. Every writer has a voice. And the really great writers can change that voice from story to story, novel to novel, but they still have that voice. If you read a Stephen King novel or a Isaac Asimov novel mm. or short story or anything, you can 
tell who's writing it yeah. if you read enough of their work. You can recognize their voice, and Gaiman does the same thing. Um, you, there's a reason why people buy book after book after book from a specific author. Yeah, there's a you know we 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 don't talk about romance novels here because generally speaking, there's not a whole lot of reason what's, to. What's a romance? Novel? But in when I when I was a used book dealer, one of the one of the backbones of used bookstores oh, is yeah. the romance novel. Oh yeah. And trust me when I tell you that um, it's driven by author loyalty. People come in and they buy like the entire back catalog yeah. of of an author, and it's because they have a specific voice, and and it's the same thing with any other genre. Or they tell a specific type of story. Right. I mean, you get into those. Um, if music. you ever if you ever want to find out what happens to a lot of history majors, they end up writing Regency romances, <laughs> and I tell you what, they do pretty well for a livelihood that doing that, and about fifty fifty percent of Regency uh, romance authors. Are, have pseudonyms because they're males. Well, and the other thing too is you can get you can get work as a ghostwriter. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, to cover a list. Now, Eastland, I'm going to say you you mentioned something about deleting. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a suggestion. Uh, if you have pieces of a story that have to be completely cut out, you're gonna gut that story. Don't delete it. Put it in a folder somewhere. Save it because you might be able to repurpose it and use it, it in yeah, another it, it story. It might be another. It might be another it story might, to tell. It might prompt. Oh wait, I can do this with this, and I'll go and do now this. The good news is, is that text does not eat up a whole lot of hard drive space. Right. I have sixteen external hard drives. A significant chunk of that is put up on footage that I have. I'm paranoid about deleting, even though I haven't done anything with that film in six years. Or, oh, yeah, yeah. And I have I, I have to break down and sit there and go, right? I'm never recutting this movie. Um, you know, it, it, it's going to kill me to delete, but I got to do it. There's just I still have many DV tapes mm -hmm. from so pretty <laughs> much everything I've shot. I when I moved just a few months ago, I was looking at the box of many many DV tapes going. Yeah, I still have something that I could import with these I with. I still have, I still have that. I still have. It's it's four eighty. Well, yeah. What are well, we gonna seven twenty forty? I know. What are we gonna do with that? I know. I know. But you can't upscale. I uh, well, these cameras upscale pretty well. They're they're SD. Yeah, but you mm, down from nineteen twenty, you can't. Well, we're going up to we're going up to seven twenty on all of this, so it 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 does okay. Broadcast, but but, then, you know, but the anyway. other thing is that you know I I have three quarter inch tapes of stuff that I did from the mid nineties. Sure, sure, yeah. You can't get rid of it. I've got VHS tapes of stuff that hurts, I did all the way back. It hurts and, you know, to think about it. Destroying it, and and I well, it's your body of work. It's your body of work. It it hurts. It hurts your soul. But I think that I think that you you end please the, empty those boxes. Please get rid of them. Please, we need the space. She says. Yeah. She so, keeps it to herself, but it's there. Of course, it's of course. there. She's, she's smart. Please she get rid of these she knows VHS what she's tapes. Doing. Um, uh, I, by the way, Mrs. Boss, I found an entire box full of VHS tapes. That are yours. Because you were supposed to put them on digital for my mom. She sent that to me from the lake. You know how much postage that costs? I know, I know, I know, I know. 
Um, How I, many years ago? Add that to the list of things the to list do. Of things to do. Yeah. One of the cool things I think that that we see from a lot of authors who got their start in short stories is that they continue to publish their own short story anthologies. Mm. Um, and you see this with mystery writers a fair amount, yeah. um, where they will put out their own short story collection. And one of the things that does is it actually keeps the... For everyone who talks about the short... We've heard that from time to time the short story is dying. That you know, there, There's no market for short stories. And the market isn't as strong as it used to be. But I think some of it also is because you have so many different outlets now. Yeah. You can publish online. Um, you know, I mentioned Audible earlier. You can buy a 30-minute audiobook, and it's someone's short story. Well, and not only that, but, you know, with podcasting, mm -hmm. you can turn your short fiction into <laughs> podcast. Well, a and short, short fiction podcast. And for those, there's a lot of authors, by the way, for those of you who think that authors are just rolling in money. They're not. Um, there are a handful of authors who get the big six-figure, six yeah. but it really is a handful. Um, there's a number of authors who have successful series um, who are like, well, okay, I've been paid for my successful series, and now that I've paid my rent and my utility bills, and I've, yes, I've paid off the mortgage of my house, and now I have to go figure out how I'm going to pay, you know, keep the lights on for the next six months until the next book or whatever. That's when you spend 10 years writing the next one. Well, well, well. The, yeah, but see, the advance isn't going to last 10 years, George. Yeah, but the thing is that George is sitting pretty well. Uh, there's an author named Jonathan, uh, Jonathan F. Howard. Jonathan F. Howard, I think. I don't know. Anyway, uh, he wrote, uh, um, uh, the, he's written a couple uh, Lovecraft, I want to say Lovecraft light. Uh, they have Lovecraftian themes, but he's, uh, um, the Johannes Cabal novels, which are dying for a a adaptation on like HBO, mm -hmm. um, they're very funny and very wrong, and 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 they're great fantasy. They're they're yeah. they're fun fantasy uh, about a necromancer and his misadventures, and and he ha he's one of the few authors that I actually pay attention to on Patreon. Um, and I, I don't currently back him, but I, I, I did for a little while. I'll probably back him again when I sit there and go, okay, I'll, I'm going to spend some Patreon money. Um, because he, he's like very honest. He's like, okay, look, so this is how much money. I'm going to tell you how much money I made on these books. And, you know, here, this is it. This is, this is what it really means. Mm -hmm. He goes, and so, and so because you're backing me, I'm going to give you X amount of fiction. Right. You know, you're, you're, and he writes a short story and he writes little things. And, and so, you know, you get, you can get the content from the authors that you want a lot of times in, as they're producing this stuff as they go, as they're working on their next novel or their next collection, you know, you, you can give them a little bit of money every month and they give you a new story. And that's sometimes a really great deal. I think the other thing too is, you know, with, uh, you know, Robert mentions Hollywood, um, there are a lot of aspiring authors sure and yeah. aspiring comic book writers sure and we've seen this I, I i don't know i've lost count of how many times i've seen going back and forth if you're going to be in comics be in comics to be in comics don't get into comics just to get the netflix deal because that doesn't happen to everybody it doesn't happen to most most people. everybody but if you're getting into writing fiction in order to get the movie deal, then you, I would say your priorities are off. 
well, write also, the story that you want to write. Well, that's you should do that for everything. But here's yeah. another thing about to deal about when it comes to Hollywood and, and getting the deal. You don't get the deal. You get the option. Yeah. They option your story. They option your book. Most of the time. And there's exceptions, of course, etc. But but most of the time. And that doesn't mean you're going to get a film made. That's not means a series right. isn't going to get made. And maybe you got some money out of the deal. And hey, if your business model is, I can write fantastic pitches and fantastic things that can get turned and picked up as optioned off to do a series and movies, and this is my business model. Yeah. All power to you. I wish you nothing but the best. It's great, great for you. You're making it work. Most people can't. Um, but that's the thing to bear in mind is that you can sell your great story and then not see it get made and then see somebody else come along who would make it who who would love to get you make that great story of yours and they can't yeah because and it's then an option and, and then time goes by and they they move on to something else and maybe your thing never gets made so well and, and the other thing too is sometimes way. you know and, St and you can ask Stephen King about this sometimes your story gets optioned and sometimes it does get made and you and, wish and you wish it didn't or you're Ursula Le Guin and you watch Earthsea. Earthsea, and you say, "Yeah, she was polite-ish." Yeah, but <laughs> she was very clear on what she thought. Oh about no, it. kidding! Or, or you, you, and you can see it now. I mean, there's still the BBC just released another photo for the, um, um, the watch, the adaptation, Terry Pratchett, Terry Pratchett. and. Uh, a little little side note here. I have no problem with reimaginings if they're done interesting. And I and for all I know, for all anybody knows, the Watch miniseries is going to be a really cool miniseries. The problem is, is that that's not what the fans were asking for. They were asking for a. They didn't want a reimagining. Yeah. They wanted the stories adapted into film and TV. And so the re the, the reimagining came about a decade too early. <laughs> it's like, guys, don't don't reimagine it. Yeah, give us the original, then you can reimagine it later. But the, you know, the, uh, it's not what it's not what the fans or the creators necessarily want, um, and that's the T. Okay, the folks who produce this stuff for TV and films, once they get their hands on it, they honestly don't care what the author thinks. Right. Many authors are banned from sets, uh, and there's reasons for that because. <laughs> Why are you doing it that way? Um, that's not what I wrote. That's not what I wrote. Yes, yeah. these two aren't a couple. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, yeah, but it works better in the script. But that, that please escort the author yeah. off, off the studio Robert, lot. Robert says, "I'm writing a spy story set in the 1930s, where Germany has won the Great War and the royal family has fled to Canada." Might interesting. interesting. Yeah, the Great War being World War One. That is correct. Not World War Two. So and that that if, actually has permutations all on its own because sure. if Germany had won World War One, there might not be a World War Two. Well, and one of my favorite alternate history novels um, is um, Harris's Fatherland. Right. Where the, the not only did the Nazis win World War Two, but the Holocaust was completely covered up. And it's a story of a German police officer who discovers, who happens to come across proof and then that has to get it out into the world. And it's well, and you've got you know Chilling. the uh, man in the high tower, man, man, man in the high, high castle, castle. man yeah. in the high castle. So alternate alternate universes are, are fun to play with. Was it? Didn't Weber, Harry Turtle Dove? Turtle Dove did it. Didn't wasn't there a? 
was it Weber who did the civil did some other civil war stuff? Uh, I think Eric Flint. Oh, Eric stuff. Flint. Thank you. Thank you. Eric Flint. Did yeah, some, Eric, Eric Flint has done some, quite a lot of yeah. alternate uh, history. So did some stuff with the Romans too, didn't he? I'm not sure. Um, but uh, yeah, he's got a whole. Yeah, I think Eric's got a whole a whole series. I need to get him on live from the bunker. If you if if one of the things you could, I, I think it's really kind of fun to do is go into a used bookstore, and because a lot of great short story anthologies end up in used bookstores. Yeah, uh, and. Um, you can find some real gems there. If you can come across the Wild Card series or the Heroes in Hell series, I need to go back and find see if I can find some of those because there was like nine books in the series. Were the Lensman was... stories short stories or were they the novels, short novels? So I think they were published. I want, and, and I could be wrong here. Someone, if, if someone knows, and please correct me. I want to say that they were initially published almost like chapters. Okay. Right. And then, because I think some of these things, you think about um, some of these novels, um, you know, Dickens was originally published in chapters. It wasn't, he didn't publish novels. Well, he published some of Asimov stuff. Asimov does as well. The series. Foundation series was, yeah. was initially published in pieces. Um, and, and I think that that's something else to consider that some of the, some of the medium has changed. I mean, there was um, very little science fiction. There was science fiction, but there was very little science fiction in TV and movies. For a while, yeah, uh, and um, now you get these anthology shows. Black Mirror, for example, um, is a you know it's it's essentially telling short you know singular stories. And anthology TV shows are doing some of the lifting for the Twilight short Zone. Zone, Twilight Zone. Um, and the great thing is, is that we people seem bound and determined to give us a Twilight Zone for every generation, which is for good and for ill. But the fact is, there's they think that it's it's valuable enough yeah. that they want to do that. Um, I'd like to see more, you know, um, you know, night galleries and I mean, Tales from the Crypt is back, but God, give me my, give me a night gallery, give well, me a well crafted night we're gallery. Getting Ooh. Clone High. Give me a really high quality <laughs> night gallery. Um, yeah. Well, and and the, and the thing is, is that um, well, American Horror Stories mm-hmm. is an anthology series that's rolling out and. And so hopefully that will be something that will you know do it for horror on TV because we don't have a lot of horror anthologies on TV. We don't have a whole lot of anthologies at all. No, no, and I think that it's going to be interesting because of course the American Horror Story uh, audience is fairly sizable. It's been a successful show for a while now. Yeah. Um, and even if you're even if you're not a horror fan, um, it should show that there's kind of a market for this kind of you know. Storytelling, yeah. um, and hopefully the antho- uh, uh, the American Horror Stories will be um, successful enough that some people will recognize that. Because I would love to see a science fiction series that was every episode. Well, now NBC was it NBC? Because uh, Steve Davidson was talking about uh, th- amazing stories mm-hmm. has been optioned. I believe it's NBC, and this is not. I mean, Spielberg did it. This is a new one mm-hmm. that's going to be adapting some of the some of the classic Amazing Story, but they've they've optioned the name, mm-hmm. uh, and Steve Davidson runs Amazing Stories as the magazine online. Uh, but they, you know, I guess, I think it was NBC, but I haven't heard anything since. Um, it's still in the works, last I heard. But you know, we could get another Amazing Stories anthology. Which would be and, great. You know, that's science fiction. 
and fantasy and some scary. And stuff. you know, some of this stuff actually would I think would work really well for the binging model. As much as I'm, I'm, you know, kind of <laughs> on the binging model. Yeah. Um, first of all, on one hand, it's great that I get to consume every episode of The Expanse. On the other hand, on the other hand, I've watched every episode of The Expanse. <laughs> now I have to wait. Well, now you get to watch something else. It's, it's right, but at the yeah. same time, there's so much good stuff out there that it's like I'm so far behind on so many different things I want to watch. I I would love to be able to produce some of this stuff, and you know, because following in the footsteps of the Sci-Fi Channel, as as we ostensibly were at the beginning, one of the things that I had always wanted to do was be able to publish fiction mm -hmm. and eventually get into filmed media and you know we made our own made our own tv shows made our own movies you know the whole sci-fi original pictures right, right. thing i want to do all that kind of thing it takes money it takes a lot of money right. and we don't have so we haven't been able to do any of that stuff but we would love to publish short fiction mm -hmm. and while we probably would not be able to pay a whole lot, I would love to be able to publish short fiction. Maybe even, maybe even we do an Indiegogo at some point that works better than the last one we did to create a fiction anthology, you know, and run those quarterly and we'll do probably try and wait till after most people are back to work who are currently at a well, yeah, right yeah, it'd take a while to line that stuff up, but. Right. In the meantime, we're going to wrap up here uh, because this has not been short. No, but if you, I think while on our way out, we should definitely say if you think about are thinking about writing, just do it. Yeah. If you're thinking about writing a short story, you're thinking about writing a novel, you're thinking about writing a song, you're thinking about writing a poem, just do it. Just don't don't let anybody tell you that you can't. And and if you're not good, you keep at it, and maybe you'll get better, and hopefully you'll get better. Uh, and it may not be your thing, but to be honest, if you want to give it a shot, then yeah. do it. Outlines help. Oh, well, that's a very useful. Outlines one. help. Uh, sometimes just doing it stream of consciousness, some people are good at that. Outlines help. And if it's writing the outline down on paper, or if you take each scene and put them on note cards or, or sticky pads or whatever and arrange your story and craft the spine of it, so you know where you're going when you actually start to write the story. That would be my recommendation. Don't get to the end of the story. I have no idea how to end your story. No. Always know when you're going to end. Where? Um, what does your ending It may like? change by the time you're done. Yeah. But at least you knew where it was going. Yes. Our ending is going to involve me telling you about the discount that we have negotiated over at SuperheroStuff.com. It is a 10% discount that you can have when you use the promo code SciFi for B10. And if you would like to help us start paying for some short fiction, uh, let's go with the Subscribestar. We've got a PayPal account, uh, yeah, and we've also got the Subscribestar account, subscribestar.com slash sci-fi for me. And of course, you know, and during these live shows, you can always do a super chat. You know, some people have done that. And we appreciate that too. Uh, but at the very least, a thumbs up, sharing the links, Subscribing to the channel, all of those good things uh, help with uh, the YouTube algorithm. And, oh yes, and if you have any interest in getting a sticker, where's, which, who are we, where are we going here at the sticker, we can do those too for free. You can send us a self-addressed stamped envelope 
1503 Main Street, number 305, Grandview, Missouri, 64030. And we will send you a sticker. All right. And then, Robert, let us know when your mug arrives. We do appreciate you using the discount code for that. So thank you very much, everyone, for watching. If you are listening to this as a podcast, don't forget we do broadcast live Monday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. I'm, I'm trying to get into the habit of doing the Eastern time because sure, apparently yeah. Eastern is the, is the thing. So 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, and tomorrow night, episode 97 of the Salacious Crumbs with the latest Star Wars news. Um, live from the bunker tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern, Declan Finn will be our guest. On Wednesday, Joe Haldeman will be a guest, the author of The Forever War, uh, science fiction hall of famer and science fiction writers of America grandmaster Joe Haldeman. And then Rhonda Udaly will be in on Thursday to talk about uh, the four redheads of the apocalypse and all of the other stuff that she's been working on. So we've got a full week. So there we go. Thanks very much, everyone. And we will be back for another round here next Monday. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.